All right, class. Today on Lockdown Wild, we're heading back to school as we dive into the world of analytics on today's episode of Lockdown Wild. You're locked on Wild. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Wild. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Wild, your daily Minnesota Wild podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Wild your first listen each and every day. If this is your first listen, we welcome you in. If you are in every day or two of the show, we welcome you back. Today's episode of Locked On Wild is brought to you by the Game Time app. You can download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off your first purchase. On today's episode of Lockdown Wild, Brett Marshall of the Sound the Foghorn Podcasts joins us to give us a little analytics 101. We'll also take a look at the Wild and some of the impressive statistical performances we saw and some players that maybe fell a little short of the mark. My name is Seth Topol, your daily Minnesota Wild insider. As mentioned, Brett Marshall of the Sound the Foghorn podcast is joining us. Brett, we're still picking up the pieces from another first-round playoff exit, so hope you are well. Glad to have you on the show today, and uh, I know you are right in the middle of a project taking a look at how the Wild have done with a year-long edition of your uh, your player cards. Tell us a little bit about those to start for uh, for listeners that maybe haven't seen them yet or have and are just kind of curious how the process works. Sure. So the season-long player cards are an extension of my nightly player cards. Uh, and basically, they're just essentially infographics that outline, uh, you know, all the kind of what I deem to be kind of the important stats in a game from your very traditional ones, goals, assists, shots, blocks, face-offs, that kind of stuff. And then kind of dabbling in some of those really important analytic stuff, notably things surrounding um, expected goals, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, a little later, but also things like shot attempts, um, different things like that. And just, you know, kind of giving fans a deeper view into, you know, if a player looked like he had a good game, why did he have a good game? You know, what kinds of things was he doing? And then also the vice versa, if a player looked like he had a bad game, you know, was it really as bad as it looked or was it, you know, was it one or two bad shifts that really tanked him and the rest of the game was actually really good. Um, so just giving fans a different way to kind of look at the game, see the game. Um, you know, I think there's been some great people in the analytics community, you know, probably since the late 20 teens, um, that have really helped kind of drive the bus and, you know, have made this more of a mainstream thing. Um, and I really wanted, you know, a lot of it's done on a national scale and there wasn't been a lot being done on a local level. Um, and it interested me and I'm like, well, you know, I, this made me a, a smarter hockey fan. So why don't I try to bring this to the fans and you know, make them smarter hockey fans as well. Well, and this is where I, I give you some thanks because it seems like just, I keep track in my head, like mental notes throughout the week. And it seems like, I am referencing some of the uh, the work that you put out there with the cards or just some statistical breakdowns on almost a nightly basis. And so for somebody who's not as statistically inclined, it definitely helps uh, for those that are just trying to get a better sense of what we're seeing out on the ice. And so a big tip of the cap for that uh, here from me. Now, 
let's just look at some of the metrics that are used to kind of rate player performance. And we're just going to go through by position group. Because I know there are a few different ones that might be better for, say, defensemen as opposed to forwards. And so when you're going through and looking and compiling uh, some of this data, let's start with the forwards. What are some of the most common um, analytic measures that you use to rate player performances and to help kind of further the claim of, hey, player A looked like they did really well. What are some ways that we can dig in to kind of back that up? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest place to start is raw goals and assists, right? I mean, that's how you win hockey games. A lot of players, you know, can rack up, you know, not a lot, but there are some players that might rack up a lot of points, but maybe the underlying metrics aren't as great. Um, so that's when I, you know, so that, that's the one first thing I use. And then you have um, what I kind of categorize into what's called shooting contributions. Um, so this is kind of three different categories. So you have your individual shot attempts, your individual high danger chances, and then your individual expected goals. So your individual shot attempts are also called individual Corsi or individual Corsi 4. Um, it's just how many times did a player try to shoot a puck at the net? So that shot could have been blocked. It could have missed. It could have been stopped. It includes all the, you know, could hit a post. It includes all those different things. An individual high danger chance um, kind of takes that to the next level. So there's a lot of factors that go into what categorizes an individual high danger chance or a high danger chance in general. Um, typically speaking, it'll be a shot that's just kind of within that home plate area. So kind of from between the hash marks down to the front of the crease, um, pretty much always a high danger shot. And then there's certain what they call events that can take place that up the, uh, the dangerousness of a shot. So that could be a thing like, is it a shot off the rush? Is it a shot off the rebound? Um, and was it blocked and then shot again? Those types of things can elevate what would maybe be a not high danger chance into a high danger chance. And then uh, the individual expected goals kind of takes both of those things even one step further. And what that will look at is kind of the quality of a chance. So there are some really smart minds in hockey that developed what's called expected goals models. Basically, the long story short of how this works is they took a large set of sample data from like 2008 to 2017. They looked at every shot that was taken during that time frame and mapped out which shots became goals and looked at 15 different factors from who shot the puck, who the goalie was, how far away was the shot, where did it come from, uh, what type of shot was it. And they look at all these things and basically spit out a probability of that shot becoming a goal. Um, and so an individual expected goal will do, it'll add up all those probabilities. So if a player, you know, had six shots in a game worth, you know, 0.65 individual expected goals, that would basically suggest there was potentially a 65% chance they should have scored a goal in that game. Um, and obviously that can go over one in some games being that player to very high likelihood of scoring a goal probably did. Um, these models are without nuance. They're not perfect, but they give us a really good starting point. Um, and more often than that, I think especially for the individual side of things, um, especially when it comes to shooting, it's the eye test usually backs it up. For sure. Uh, we're going to continue. We'll take a look at some of the metrics to rate defensemen as well as the goaltenders. And then we'll start to look at some of the wild players that performed above what we expected and some that maybe didn't quite hit what we were hoping they would as we continue today's episode of Lockdown Wilds after this. There is no I in team. But there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. 
With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data U.S. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash locked on. Indeed.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Continuing today's episode of Locked on Wild. Once again, thanks for making Locked on Wild your first listen each and every day. For the everydayers, we have a fan perspective episode coming for you tomorrow as uh, we've got a uh, member of the uh, Wild Nation that is going to join us to just talk about kind of how the season went from his perspective and looking at what needs to change for this team going forward. So look for that tomorrow, as well as I've teased it for like the last three days. We are going to get to the uh, the path, as I'm calling it, um, at some point this week, looking at the past Stanley Cup champions and how they got to the top of the mountain. So that's all coming up yet here this week. We're talking Analytics 101 on today's episode with Brett Marshall of the Sound the Foghorn podcast. If you haven't listened to Sound the Foghorn yet, I highly encourage you to do so. Brett and the crew do a great job breaking down pretty much everything from a wild perspective as well as a uh, big look at the prospects as well. So uh, I encourage uh, Locked on Wild listeners to check out Sound the Foghorn as well. Brett, let's talk defensemen. And I would imagine it is... Almost as simple as for all the metrics you use to rate forwards, you probably just look at from a defenseman's perspective, limiting those opportunities uh, as much as possible. Yep, that's a really, really simple way to put it. Um, You know, we talked about individual expected goals. There's also kind of the other side of the coin um, where it's just expected goals for, expected goals against. and it's called on ice. So basically whenever players on the ice and something happens, there are values assigned. So if there was, you know, for example, the Kaprizov's the Greville Hartman line um, is out there and Kaprizov takes a shot worth 0.23 expected goals, right? That would count on ice for all the skaters that were on the ice. And conversely, if they were on the ice against for a chance, you know, worth 0.12 expected goals, that would go in their expected goals against on ice. So defensemen, you're typically your best defensemen will usually be the ones um, who have low expected goals against, which means they're limiting, you know, it may not necessarily mean they're limiting shot attempts, but they're blocking the shots before they get there. They're keeping teams very perimeter. Um, they're making the job really easy for the goalies, the long story short. Um, and oftentimes this will be one of the big arguments you'll see, especially on the analytics community when it comes to Norris trophy voting. Uh, there's no better example than Eric Carlson. Um, who put up a historic season offensively, but it was at the major expense of his defense, which he pretty much did not play. Um, I don't have his exact numbers in front of me, but some of the worst um, expected goals against numbers um, in the NHL, another example would be John Klingberg, um, came in from the Ducks and was having one of, or not one of, it was the worst, um, had one of the worst expected goals against uh, Marks in the analytics era. Um, And it was, you know, it was a, not really a high risk, but it was a risk reward play for the wild. I think, you know, they got a great John Klingberg in the playoffs. He's one of their best defensemen. Brock Faber fixed him. Um, <laughs> I, but, you know, sheltered <laughs> minutes may have done the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the main things I'm looking at for defensemen. 
Um, and then also, you know, just you can't deny if they're not letting goals in, whether they're getting good goaltending or not, um, which we saw, I think, some really good numbers out of the Bourdain-Dumba pairing this year um, in terms of how many actual goals they were letting in uh, per game. So one of the better pairings. So those are probably the main, you know, kind of three things is, you know, how are they limiting expected goals? How are they limiting shot attempts? And then, you know, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, how many goals are they actually allowing when they're out there? And in the case of the grief line in their prime, just don't allow a goal like the entire season and it just makes yeah. it super easy. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's look at uh, goaltending. And for this one, I know um, the two that are the main ones are expected goals allowed and goals saved above expected. So just, just talk a little more about those and any others that you factor in when looking at goalie play. Yeah. So believe it or not, all those things tie right back into the goaltending position too, right? So goal save above expected is basically exactly what it sounds like. So, um, you know, all the players are going to accumulate that those individual expected goals over the game. That's going to add up to a certain amount for the whole game. It might be 3.4 expected goals for a team uh, in a game. If a goalie, you know, only allows two, you just really simple math, 3.4 minus two, he finishes with, you know, 1.24 expected goals or one, I don't even know what I said, 1.4 goals say above expected um, for the game. And, you know, he was only the expected goals against was 1.5 and he allows three. He has a negative uh, 1.5 goals say above expected. I mean, ideally you want, you know, if your goalie's doing his job, that number is going to fall, you know, maybe not on a game by game basis, but over a season, it should, you know, even out to rate around zero. Um, the best goalie, you know, a starting goalie is probably going to save eight to 10 above expected. And then you're going to have really elite seasons where, you know, there's been some like 50, 60 over. I think Gustafson was around like the 28 goal save above expected this year. Um, if you broke that down like a, a per 60 minute or per start basis, you think he was top three in the league. Wow. Um, so re- really efficient when he w- was in that, you know, I think something like 0.75 goal save above expected per game. So nearly a goal per game just, just because Gustafson was playing well. So um, you know, you can look at high danger save percentage too. So the, you know, those are the goalies that are making the really difficult saves. Um, I think that one can contextualize because, you know, you can still rack up a goal save above expected if you get a ton of perimeter shots. But I think if you compare that with, Hey, this guy's got a high goal save above expected and he has a really high, high danger save percentage, man, this guy's a good, good goalie. Um, so those are kind of the, probably the two main ones that I use. I mean, I hate save percentage with every ounce of my being um, because it's such a team stat and not a goalie stat. Um, so I, I try to I try to avoid showing it, but you know I'll still throw it on there just because it it can help sometimes. Sure. Well, and it it is interesting too because you take that and as you laid it out, you know Philip Gustafson per sixty minutes about point seven goals saved per game for a team that lost 66 goals this year compared to what they scored last year makes a difference uh, as the season plays out. So it's, it is great to get uh, that look as to, uh, and just to have it line up with, you know, we, we all saw Philip Gustafson throughout the year played really well. And so to have that backed up by some of those underlying stats is, is really, really good. And I hope that um, I hope that that leads to him uh, staying around for a few more years, but um, that's a topic for maybe later in the show. Uh, I want to go into because I know you did a breakdown on the forwards so far for uh, your full year to date uh, player cards. So we'll talk about those. I know you're working on defensemen and uh, and goalies as well, so uh, listeners can see those on Twitter. 
uh, here within the uh, the next few days, I would imagine. Who were some of the surprises from what you uh, laid out? Um, let's start on the positive end. Guys that performed above what we were expecting them to and were backed up by uh, some really solid underlying stats. Yeah, I think we'll start with a guy that uh, you and I both really like, and I think we've you know chatted a little bit in our group chat, um, but that's Brandon Duhame. Um, it was an injury-shortened season for him due to concussions, only played in 51 games. Um, but we saw a lot of kind of that high shooting volume uh, that we saw kind of when he came on last year, and I thought it was something that really kind of tailed off as the season went on, and this year it almost felt like the opposite. Um, he was third in the team in high danger chances per 60, fifth in shot attempts per 60, fourth individual expected goals per 60, um, which for a bottom six forward is, you know, efficient. Um you know, probably somewhat evident by his nine goals and one assist, but this is not a guy <laughs> who, when he gets around the net, is looking to pass the puck. Um, but on a team that is notorious and has been for eternity for overpassing, it's refreshing to have a guy that said, you know what, screw it, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to shoot it. Um, so he put a lot on net. Um, the underlying numbers weren't terrible. Um, he had a 51.33 expected goals uh, percentage or share, um, so 2.63 uh, four per 60, 2.50 against per 60. Um, so helping drive play, you know, at times with, you know, if it was with, it might've been with a Ryan Reeves, who's not a known play driver, um, Connor Dewar, who isn't much one to flash offensively at least. Um, so to post some of those numbers with, you know, playing with guys who maybe aren't notorious for being offensive, um, I think is really impressive. Um, and then also another notable thing, uh, just 1.46 goals against per 60, a really, really good mark. Um, you know, playing bottom six minutes or not, you know, really effective when he was out there. That was the best mark um, on the team this year. So a, a strong two-way game, uh, you know, loves to hit too. Played 51 games and still finished third on third among the forwards and hits with 146. Um, so I think that's pretty impressive too. Um, so I think he's, he's the ideal bottom six guy, right? He plays with speed. He has a scoring touch. Um, he can play in your special teams, notably your penalty kill, another area he was actually really, really good in. Um, you know, only played 43 minutes on the kill this year, but I think next year, I mean, if you look at, you know, third best in um, goals against per 60, fifth best in um, penalty kill expected goals against per 60, um, he's a guy to be looking to get more reps because it seemed like he, he had something figured out there. Um, so just a guy that was really impressive to me, and I think, you know, someone that needs to be elevated in the lineup, I think the speed and, and the shot, you know, get in with a guy like a Freddie Goudreau on that third line, you know, all of a sudden now you have two guys that can skate, um, you know, we've seen Freddie, Freddie can be crafty with the puck. He can move it. He can score. Um, and I think you, it can give you maybe a little different element to your third line that you haven't had a little bit of speed, a little bit of skill, a little bit of grit and all those things Dean Evison likes, um, obviously not under contract yet for next season. Um, but it would not surprise me if he's the next skater, um, that gets an extension. I'd love to hear that because, uh, as president of the Brandon Duhame fan club, you know, we gotta, we gotta represent for, uh, for Duhame and yeah, just, just a fun Really fun uh, part of this team. A jolt. Nice spark plug uh, for this team when they needed it. Um, a- anybody else from a positive side that really jumped off the page as you were putting these together for the forwards? Um, let's see. There was one, but I don't really want to talk about him because I don't think it was because of him. Um, <laughs> so I think we'll go to Boldy. Sure. Um. Because I think we really saw the offense from Boldy obviously come on late in the year, 15 goals in his final 20 games. Um, but I don't know if people realize how solid he is defensively. Um, this is a guy that, you know, he's the definition of a two-way player. 
Um, second on the team in individual shot attempts per 60. Third on the team in individual expected goals per 60. Um, but was pretty much second or third in every defensive category um, that I measure. So expected goals against, shot attempts against, um, actual goals against per 60, all that stuff. Um, he was among the top three um, for wild forwards. And that's against pretty stiff competition too. Um, you know, he's not, you know, it's not like Duhame where, you know, Duhame is probably getting some bottom six guys. Boldy's getting tough matchups. Um, he's probably either getting that first or second line most nights. Uh, first line, you know, might be getting Caprice off, but that line might be a checking shutdown line. So he could be up against, you know, a, a top skill line. So some really impressive numbers defensively for him. Um, and even if you look at his production this year, he finished this year with 62 points on uh, 81 games. Uh, wait, no, more than that. 63 think in 81 games um you know a lot of that obviously coming late in the year but I mean this is a guy who just turned 22 in April and I think it's really easy to forget that Matt Boldy's only 22 uh Kaprizov didn't come in the NHL till he was 23 um and we're looking at point production for Matt Boldy right now that is you know going into his next season has a chance to surpass where Phil Kaprizov was at right and Kaprizov had a 100 point year last year wow um so I I think a lot of people realize how good Matt Boldy is but I don't know if people realize how good he is. Obviously he hasn't found that, you know, hasn't been able to translate that to the playoffs yet, but this is a young kid still figuring it out. Um, and I'm really excited. If you can get a full year with competent line mates, like this year I was, you know, it's half a season with Sam Steele or Freddie Goudreau, whoever else. And all of a sudden that like, hey, K they're going to put Eric Tanek with them. Another amazing two-way player. They got a speed and puck carry guy in Johansson. I don't think it was coincidence that it took off. Will mm. it be at that level, 15 goals in 20 games? No, <laughs> but I think Matt Boldy is going to be unleashed next year. Um, and I think, you know, if, if this kid can break out any more than he already has, I think next year's the year, uh, you know, I, the sky's the limit for him in terms of, of where he can go. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're going to flip it and talk about some of the guys that underwhelms. We'll talk about Sam Steele too. Cause uh, I think his just season in general was very interesting. And so we'll talk about all of that as we finish today's episode of Lockdown Wilds after this. There's nothing better in the summer in Minnesota than heading to the ballpark and spending a day with some friends. But have you ever looked at tickets the day of the game? It should be easy to go grab a couple of tickets and just head to the Twins game to have some fun. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. But game time is here to help. They're the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. The best thing about GameTime is they offer views of your seats before you even purchase the tickets. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Final segment of today's episode of Lockdown Wilds. Once again, thank you for making Lockdown Wild your first listen each and every day. Again, for the everydayers, make sure that you stick with us for tomorrow's episode. We'll be getting some fan perspectives on how things went and where things need to go for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, so you can tune in for that episode coming up tomorrow. Joined by Brett Marshall of the Sound the Foghorn podcast. And Brett, we talked about some of the positives from an analytics standpoint for the Wild this season. 
Let's flip it and talk the guys that uh, showed the most signs of regression. And Alexis, if you're listening to this, shut your ears because uh, the first one that we're going to, I'm sure, talk about is Marcus Foligno. Yeah, cat too. Uh, you know, I think co-president of that <laughs> Foligno fan club. Um, yeah, it, it starts with Marcus Foligno. And I, I want to preface this by saying his numbers, relatively speaking to the league, aren't terrible, but relatively speaking to the Marcus Foligno we're used to. Um, we're really, we're just so far on a way, um, you know, this is a guy who last year, you know, as you mentioned, is a part of that grief line, um, was an unbelievable defensive forward. Uh, he finished with 1.78 expected goals against per 60 last season, which was second best in the NHL behind only Patrice Bergeron. Wow. Um, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but there's some metrics that measure his quality of competition it was against a 90th percentile of competition difficulty. Like he was phenomenal last year, like selkie caliber defense. Um, and that absolutely and completely fell off a cliff this year, um, rising from 1.78 expected goals against per 60 to 2.56 uh, expected goals per 60. So, you know, nearing, you know, almost a goal more per hour expected against him, um, you know, this year, just, you know, it, it didn't necessarily come to fruition. He was still on the ice for only about, um, two goals against per 60 minutes, which relatively speaking is fine. Um, definitely got peeled out quite a bit by the goaltending. Um, you know, it can be attributed to a couple things. I mean, you know, he was, you know, lost his line mates. He was in and out of the lineup with injuries. Um, a lot of that stuff is kind of derailed. I mean, you heard Kaprizov talking about, you know, getting into a groove coming in the playoffs. Coming in and out of the lineup for injuries is tough. And, you know, when you're so used to playing with a line that has an identity and all of a sudden now you're with Freddie Goudreau or a Sam Steele or, yeah. Brandon Duhame or Ryan Reeves or whoever that, you know, whoever else he was playing with, that adjustment can be tough. Um, so defensively, we, we just saw a dip that was, you know, it was just an uncharacteristically not bad defensive season, but very like kind of meh defensive season. And for a guy that's just had the reputation of just being the shutdown, you know, uh, forward, it was, it was disappointing to see that kind of happen. Um, and then the other thing for him that really fell off, and this is what I like to call regression to the mean um, a little bit which basically means, you know, if someone's overachieving, eventually they're going to come back down to earth and vice versa. If they're underachieving, um, they'll rebound. But the area where Felino somehow over the last two seasons, um, he managed a 23.5% shooting percentage last year and a 27.5% the year before um, in that pandemic-shortened season. Um, this year that dropped to 8.4% um, on 15 fewer shots than what he had last year too. Um, you know, finishes the year with just seven goals. Um wasn't gonna, you know, wasn't gonna build, you know, wasn't gonna score career high in goals again. But I mean, you look at, you know, where this team was plagued was five on five scoring, and it was dips like that from Felino, where this was a guy that scored it. What do you have, 19, 20, I think, something on that last year. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that wasn't coming anymore. And now it was, you know, it's a one, two line team. And then the defense wasn't there either. It's like, well, now you just kind of have a bottom six forward at this point who's not really, you know, if it's not the defensive value, it's not the offensive value. So, I don't, I don't think it was a bad season for Felino. It just, we've seen so much better. Um, and, you know, it was a pretty tough playoff series for him too, outside of, you know, kind of that game, game three aside, it was, a, you know, with the penalties and yeah. maybe getting a little too emotional at times. So um, one year left on his contract, you know, it's a movable contract, you know, obviously leader in the locker room, but, you know, he's a name I'm watching really closely for, you know, this is a guy any any team would love to have in their locker room. I mean, that that kind of energy, the physicality, the leadership. Um, you know, I 
it's you know not it's one bad season not a not a bad career so you know if I'm the wild I think I'm seriously exploring the trade market for him because I think it still exists but at the same time you know his presence is needed on this team still too yeah um let's talk about Ryan Reeves as well because in just skimming and looking at some of the guys who had you know blue on your player cards for those that that don't haven't seen them yet blue is good you, the darker the blue the better and yeah. that's you're getting into Kirill Kaprizov territory some of those other guys red not as good and so looking through I know uh, guys like Matt Zuccarello was was closer to red territory um, in, in some games Ryan Reeves though another guy who uh, who maybe then again are, we're not really expecting a lot in these statistical categories for Ryan Reeves. It's more so what he brings from a physicality standpoint, or is it? Yeah, I mean, it's he is exactly what I thought he would be like. Yeah, he's going to play eight to ten minutes a game. He might go hit somebody, and you know he might get lucky and find the score sheet every now and again. Um, and that's what he did. But, you know, the disappointing part for me is, you know, it was supposed to be this guy who brought in this swagger and was supposed to be this deterrent for, you know, these other teams for taking runs at notably our stars, but just the team in general. Um, you know, I remember vividly the game where Brandon Duhame suffered his concussion when he got drilled from behind um, by Andrei Svechnikov. Reeves was on the ice, um, watched his teammate get boarded cheaply for, straight to the numbers and didn't do anything about it. We watched Ryan Suter take his licks at Kroka Kaprizov all series. Reeves didn't do anything about it. Like, I just don't know. And, and then we hear this talk, well, he wants to squeeze every penny out of his next contract. He wants it to be his last one. And it, Bill Guerin, I want to resign him. And it just, you know, it, it just, it's, it's so curious to me because he can talk about, we have no room for specialists, you know, referring to a guy like Ken Addison. Well, what is Ryan Reeves then? Like, this is a guy who played a minute and 42 seconds of power play and 24 seconds of penalty kill in 61 games. He doesn't play special teams. He's playing nine and a half minutes a night on average. He's not intimidating or fighting anyone. Outside of 152 hits, second most on the team, what is he doing? Yeah, He has a 10th worst expected goal share on the team. Like it, The offense isn't there. He's 11th, 12th, and 12th in the key offensive metrics. You know, play driving, he's not really much of a shooter. Like, what is he bringing you know, if this is if this is a guy that's going to cost you, you know, a million or more dollars, what's the point when you have, you know, an, a Nick Sweeney or an Adam Beckman or a Sammy Walker, someone in the minors who you can get for the same price that at least may be able to bring some offense or you can throw in a second power plate or something. Um, you know, obviously that, you know, the swagger and the and the leadership intangibles that locker room voice, especially with dumb believing are important things. But is, is that really worth, you know, a million dollars plus out of your cap? Yeah, I just I just don't know. I think it'd be a mistake to bring him back. You know, for this year it worked, but you know I think you really have to assess where this team is at and use those dollars wisely. And to me, re-signing him is just not not the place to go. Yeah, and it's it's another one of the big questions that Bill Guerin has to uh, address here this off season. So. Brett, we appreciate the time. Thank you for hopping on here today, listeners. Again, make sure that you check out the Sound the Foghorn podcast. Also, make sure to keep an eye out for the rest of Brett's player cards, uh, year-long player cards. We'll retweet those once uh, once they're out for the defensemen and the goalies. And uh, for listeners, again, if this is your first time listening to Locked on Wild, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast platforms. If you are an everydayer and are with us every day of the week, 
We'll see you tomorrow with a new episode as part of the Locked On Podcast Network.